When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are back with another Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Beeler, Bill Landis. And before we get rolling, guys, I want you to do a little math test. Uh, the last four games, Army, UNLV, Rutgers, Maryland. Since the loss to Oklahoma, can you guess what the total score is of those four games? What's your guess? I'm going to say 191 to 35. That's a good guess. Uh, 197 to 37. Right track. 210 to 42. An average of 53 to 10. So... I don't know what else they could have done in this stretch. Um, they're going to Nebraska next week. Nebraska like has half a pulse, maybe, but I don't think this. I don't know. I don't know that this Nebraska team is better than last year's Nebraska team, and that Nebraska team lost sixty-two to three. They lost their quarterback in the, early in that game when Tommy Armstrong went out. Um, but anyway, let's assess this first, and then we'll get nitty gritty on the sixty-two fourteen win over Maryland. Tim, when you think about this last month. When Ohio State walked off the field after losing to Oklahoma, thirty-one to sixteen, what is your grade for the Ohio entire Ohio State program for how they have handled and improved and whatever they've done? What's your grade for Ohio State the last four games? I feel like the last four games I'm going to go with an A minus, and a lot of that is predicated on the growth that this offense has made in the last four weeks. I remember admitting after week two I would have considered the quarterback change. JT Barrett looks like a completely different guy out there. He looks unrecognizable from the guy that struggled against Oklahoma. His confidence seems sky high right now. He made a lot of confident throws in this game. The reason why it's an A minus is just there's still some questions about the special teams that we've talked about. They don't. It, it's it's an issue and it's been an issue. And today we saw it at its worst. And pretty much every phase of special teams had a breakdown. But other than that, there's really not much you can get upset about. I think if if you're Ohio State. A-minus. Bill, what's your grade? Um, <clears throat> I'll say B-plus, um, and I think that probably changed today because of the special teams, because I think it's a real issue. We did we shot a video after the game. Go read it on Cleveland.com. We graded the special teams' concerns on the scale of 1 to 10, and I was at a 9, and I think that's a legitimate 9. If you're not good on special teams, you're not a good, you're not a championship-worthy team. You can beat Maryland. You can't beat Penn State making those mistakes. You can't beat Michigan making those mistakes, and you can't win the Big Ten. Um, so that brings it down for me. And then also, I just still have questions about the defense a little bit. I thought they were I mean, they, 66 yards is crazy. I think that's what it was, 66 for Maryland. Um, they didn't complete a pass until like almost the end of the second quarter, and I think completed like two or three all game. It was a smothering effort from Ohio State's defense, unlike we've seen. Even when they were really great last year, they didn't do this kind of thing. Um, 
it was against a third-string quarterback who doesn't have a ton of weapons, and they haven't played anything resembling a good offense since Oklahoma, so I still have questions about how good the defense is. You say he doesn't have a ton of weapons. He did have the leading receiver in the Big Ten who had yeah, yeah. two catches for 11 yards. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I have fewer questions about the defense now. There's someone running laps around the top of the stadium. Um, I had fewer questions about the defense after today than I did coming in. I thought the corners played well against a halfway decent group of receivers, certainly the best group of receivers they've seen since Oklahoma. Um, I'm just not ready. I, I'm much more confident in the offense as a whole from what I've seen the last four games on the imminent defense. And I don't want to give the video away. I thought you made a great point in the special teams video we did. Again, go watch it at Cleveland.com. You know what? I'm not going to give it away. I was going to give it away. It's such a great point. I think we should get like 5,000 hits on that video. Go watch the video. If you listen to our podcast but you don't often go to our site and read our stories or watch our videos, go do it right now. Bill made an excellent point about the special teams that really is, is why it could be game-changing. I don't remember what that point was, so I'll have to go back and watch it now too. Yeah, boom. That's an extra click <laughs> for you. I give him a D. Let's move on. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for your for Doug? I give him an A. I would have made the change. I would have made the change. If I was the coach of Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins would be the quarterback right now. I thought JT Barrett had an entire offseason, an entire spring, an entire preseason to be better than he was against Clemson, and he came out in a huge game against Oklahoma, and he wasn't better. And I thought, if he wasn't going to be better then, what are you waiting for? How many chances does this guy get? You have a lot of other pieces in place. People are picking this team to win the national championship, and I don't think they have a national championship quarterback. I think they have a national championship quarterback right now. You're there? I am there on JT. I'm not there in all 1,000 aspects of the entire team. I am there on JT. Now, I'm not there on – I don't think JT Barrett can carry you to a national championship. He's not Deshaun Watson. I think you can win a national championship with the way JT Barrett has played the last couple weeks. That's a big statement to make. I think there are a lot of people listening to this who are shocked to hear you say that. And and I am a – how would you have described me last year about in my attitude about JT or early this year? I would have been. Um, yeah, no, but I mean, realistic and and uh, yeah, I, I, certainly um, more more leaning toward the end of replacing him than a lot of the people who cover this team. Um, and I, I, I honestly was like kind of torn. I didn't know what to do, but I think you were realistic about wanting to make a change. So that's why I. I have come a long way with him. He casually, in the post-game news conference, we talked to him like like six minutes, he casually dropped the phrase, let it rip. Like, you know, we we believe in guys, we want to do this, and just go out and let it Don't be timid, have confidence, and let it rip. And I almost burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) You said let it rip. JT, you've grown so much. You were letting... But he is. If you read the thing I wrote, I led my thing after the game with two incompletions because I thought they were beautiful incompletions. What were they? One was it was one I think that led to a, it was a series that like led to a missed field goal. Um, one was in the end zone. He he was reading the defense from left to right. He got to his nothing in the left, nothing in the middle. He got to his third read on the right, and he ripped the throw to Terry McLaurin. Uh, on like a slant in the end zone, and he missed him. And McLaurin had to like dive a little bit for it? Yes. Yeah, he should have caught that. And I was so happy he threw it because there was a linebacker lurking underneath, and there was a corner right on McLaurin's back, and he threw it and gave him a chance. 
And then they threw a bubble to Paris that got nothing. And then they, they had a play where he threw a ball in the corner of the end zone to Ben Victor. And there was a misread or a miscommunication. I actually asked JT about it after the game. He said that he, JT had checked to a play and Victor wasn't expecting him to go to him. But as soon as they missed it, JT started walking towards Ben Victor, walked like five yards past the line of scrimmage before the field goal unit came on. I was like, what the hell are you doing? And it was just, to me, a confident quarterback. That's what Baker Mayfield would do. He ripped the ball to Johnny Dixon in the first quarter. I don't know if it was a third down throw or a fourth down it throw. It was a third and four. Third and four. I think it went for like 30-something yards. And I don't – safety jumped the route. I don't even know if JT saw the safety. And I guess that's a fairly important question. Did he not – or did, did he or did he not see the safety that came pretty close to picking the ball off? But in the end, it became a throw like through a really tight window through two defenders to Johnny Dixon who ran after the catch. And watching it from up here, I swore that was getting intercepted. The window was that tight and – you have to throw it with some mustard on it to, do, to get it there, and he did. And if that was like JT from a month ago, that ball's going the other way. I w- he wouldn't have even thrown it. I, I wish it had been picked. I mean, has he thrown? Has he? Th- he's thrown one pick this year and in that was Oklahoma. An awful right? throw against Oklahoma. Yeah. But that was a crazy person. He tried to complete like a four-yard pass when they were down, and it yeah. was like, why are you getting intercepted on a four-yard pass? I said I wrote a big thing this year. I hope he gets picked off. I hope he's trying to make throws. That Dixon play, I put that in the story. He ripped the ball to, to Austin Mack on third down. Mm-hmm. He, he the, like he hit Mike Weber for a fifty-three-yard gain that was their best play. And that came off a defense adjusting, and you pointed this out, Bill, the defense adjusting to something else they had done well. They didn't really hit a deep ball, but he threw a ball to Austin Mack in the back of the end zone from the 27-yard line that would have been caught except for pass interference. He threw multiple 50-50 balls that gave guys chances. And it it sounds like it's just normal stuff. Like he... and I still, it's like I get on, I get in fights. It's like so all of a sudden, somehow I've become like a JT Barrett defender. Yeah. Which I never. That's just because I, <clears throat> I keep it the realist. What can I tell you, people? That's what I do. So this is what I think now. Well, last year I thought he was not doing very well, and I was not that surprised. We thought he had to change for Clemson. We thought maybe he would change over bowl prep, and he didn't. We said he had to rip it. He had to make throws. He didn't do it. I feel like he's he's doing it now, and now I'll tell you what. If I'm out, I'm so far out of the JT Barrett limb. If he like is double pumps ten times against Penn State and doesn't try any throws, I my Twitter. I'm gonna have to get off Twitter. Yeah, I'm gonna have to probably maybe you have go to on vacation. It. You have to own it. But I don't think that's gonna happen. Now, am I guaranteeing a win over Penn State? No. But to me, he looks like a guy who's gonna give you a chance. And I said there were some ooze in the stadium on that throw to Johnny Dixon. People ooing like, ooh, that was almost picked. Those are beautiful oohs. <laughs> the issue is with JT is not almost getting picked. It's never throwing balls that are almost picked. He has to throw those balls. You're not worried, oh my gosh, he got You're thankful. No matter the result, the fact that he tried it is progress, and I think it's progress that will carry over to Penn State. Out, that's Buckeye Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs> can I is can I toot our own horn for a second? Toot it. Was today's game the best night we've ever had in terms of writing about things before the game that we thought were going to happen and then actually having them happen? I tweeted out like four different <laughs> stories that were like, well, we already wrote that, we already wrote that, yeah. we already wrote that. You wrote about red zone passing and our reasons why Ohio State would win, and then he was making throws in the red zone, and it's like it's not like oh my gosh, it was like it's a it's a progression, yeah. right? Yeah, I, don't, I think after the first two games, 
I think he was two of seven on throws in the red zone. And then in the last four games coming into Maryland, he was like 13 of 19 with six touchdowns. And I don't know what he was tonight, but he was throwing the ball really well in the red zone, I thought. And it's not, I'm sure there's someone like, yeah, well, he missed this one. I'm sure he did. He's not perfect on throwing the ball in the red zone. It's really hard to be perfect throwing the ball down there. But it goes back to all the things you were saying, the aggressiveness, assertiveness, whatever you want to call it, um, has changed over the last four weeks. And I think that some of these throws in the red zone are, doesn't really matter who they're playing because the space is so tight that the defenders are close to the receiver anyway. Um, I think that Ben Victor is going to be just as covered against Penn State as he was tonight against Maryland, and it throws the same for JT Barrett. I, I made a point. I said the defense is – it wasn't a tough defense, but yet he made some tough throws, mm-hmm. right? So, so I understand that Penn State – It's almost like he was intentionally challenging himself Yes, sometimes. that Penn State's going to be – I understand that Penn State's going to be a tougher defense than that. But guys were not just running free – a lot of times, you can't go by JT's stats. You have to watch it because he does have places like, oh, he threw a 71-yard touchdown to Paris Campbell. It's like, well, he threw a, a four-yard pass in a bubble screen behind the line of scrimmage, and Paris Campbell ran it. You know, so you have to see you have to see what's doing. But there were we just said we had multiple throws. We each named different rip it throws. You could go a month in the past and not see a JT Barrett rip it throw. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I think this is. I'm trying to figure out how big a deal this is, Tim. This offensive line has been very healthy for years. Very healthy. I think it is perhaps... Health is always an underrated thing because when you're healthy, you don't talk about it and you don't realize it. I mean, obviously, they won a national championship with a third-string quarterback, so they know what the deal is with injuries. But I think offensive line injuries... There are times... Michigan State had a terrible year a couple years ago because their offensive line was decimated. It's like you you knock three starters off your offensive line... And this offensive line has not had depth for years. Urban Meyer has not been happy with their offensive line depth for three years, I would say. But they never bothered. They never had to deal with it. Last year, Michael Jordan got hurt for a little bit in the Fiesta Bowl. Demetrius Knox came in, and there was a little bit of an issue right away. Mm -hmm. Brandon Bowen, who was the surprise winner of the right guard job, all credit to Brandon Bowen. He won it because other guys didn't take it. They didn't plan for a redshirt sophomore tackle to be their starting guard. He won the job, and let's take 20 seconds to say, we've talked to Brandon Bowen a couple times this year. He seems, we don't know these guys. They're not our best friends. We talked to him in interviews. He seems like a very earnest, real, like humble, happy, like just so happy to have a chance to play kind of guy. Uh, his mom is on Twitter a lot. They seem like a, a family. He's from Utah and came all the way here to play for Ohio State. Um, we're going to talk about who's going to replace him. Brandon Bowen, like, we're recording this at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. He might still be in surgery. Yeah. His leg got broken in half. Urban Meyer said it was a clean break. It's like, well, it's like, oh, it's a clean break. It's like, oh, at least your leg was thoroughly broken. Yeah. Um, so listen, this is a young man who is going to have a tough road back. Uh, I think he impressed... It doesn't matter if he impresses us. I think he impressed his teammates and his coaches with the way he won that job. He play, was playing out of position, to be honest. He wasn't perfect, but he was fighting in there. He was battling in there, and I think we all need to take a minute to um, think about him, think about his family, wish him the best on his road back. We've seen these tough injuries. No Brown broke his leg, lost a whole year. It helped him go to the NFL only. These are realities that happen to these kids. So before we talk about who's up, who's up, who's up, um, Think about Brandon Bowen and what he has ahead of him for the next next year. Now, who's up? And how big of a deal is this? Tim, 
How big of a deal? They've been so healthy on the offensive line. How big of a deal is an injury like this when you lose your starting right guard for the year? Pretty big, especially because for five five games and change, you know, the offensive line, you know, had its ups and downs, but you want to group the gel. You want a group to be out there every game. And for Bowen to go down, obviously, is a loss because we saw what happened the first couple drives after he was injured. Ohio State's offense really seemed discombobulated. Probably, it's, it's not just when you replace a guy, you have to replace chemistry. It affects the two guys that are outside of the guy that's being replaced. It affects Billy Price, it, in the, et cetera. It affects Isaiah Prince at right tackle, having a new guy there who they have to learn you know, his tendencies, what he work, what he's strong with, what he may need help with. That's what, that, that was, that's what makes replacing offensive linemen more tricky. Is it's not just the linemen, it's the two guys directly around them. Because more than anything, you need those five guys to be in concert continuously. And anytime someone's not or there's a breakdown, it makes the whole unit look bad. As we saw with right tackle last year, if one guy's not playing well, it can really blow things up. Guard, yeah. I think, is not quite as you know obvious as tackle. Could hide um, a little bit, though. You talked to Greg Stadrawa, the offensive line coach, this week. Did, I thought I saw someone. Had he talked about the backups he had confidence in? He did. And I think there's an interesting thing happening with the offensive line because... Greg, do you, do you have a prediction about what they're going to do that might not be the thing they did today? Because uh-huh. I have the same prediction. Go yeah. ahead. Um, he, Greg Sudrawa, on I think it was Wednesday night, said that he feels they're, I think he said they're about seven or eight deep on the offensive line. And then if you asked Urban Meyer how deep are you on the offensive line, he would say five. Or four and a half. Or four and a half. <laughs> um, and I get like the position coach has to pump up his guys, and Urban Meyer is very real about most things. Um, and I will believe Urban Meyer more. I, I don't think they're deep in that position. Urban Meyer has been concerned about the depth there for three years. Um, two years ago, they had a guy. In 14 and 15, I think they were fairly confident that if someone went down, there, were, there was enough going on where they could shuffle some pieces and be okay. Um, because they had Jamarco Jones, who was like a backup tackle in the 15, who if someone got hurt, they could shuffle around and put Jamarco Jones in the game. And in 14, they had Chase Farris, who could play guard or tackle. And they had Pat Offline, who could kick around the center. There was a lot going on there that worked out for them. They don't have that now. Um, and I think it's a major issue. Because the guys you're now relying on are Matthew Burrell, Demetrius Knox, and Malcolm Pridgen, who all got beat out for the second straight year by a person they shouldn't have got beaten out by. And I think it's tough because it's a road game. It's a road game. It's at Nebraska, which is one of the toughest places in the country to play. I don't think any of those three are going to be the starting guard next week. I think it's going to be Wyatt Davis. Oh, for real? I have a different prediction. Billy <laughs> Price from center? And it's interesting because Wyatt Davis, I wrote about my freshman tracker in UNLV, didn't play. And I kind of figured UNLV was one of those games where if you're a true freshman and you don't play in the game, you're just not playing this year. He hasn't played at all this year? No, he has not taken you think a it, snap this year. You think it would be Davis ahead of Myers, Josh Myers? Two big-time guard recruits that I think they both project Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis to be multiple-year starters at guard in this program. It's pretty crazy to say. I know I almost want to walk it back a little bit. But if they were to go to a freshman, I think they'd go to Davis over Myers. Myers came out of like a triple option kind of offense in high school, and I think he's still learning how to pass protect uh, adequately. Wyatt Davis is a little more of a complete player at the moment. Um, I think it's similar to the theory we always talked about with the backup quarterbacks. That if JT yeah. were to get hurt in the game, now it's different now, but before Haskins started playing, if JT were to get hurt in the game, we would think Joe Burrow might be the guy to go in, but with a week to prepare and name a new starter, maybe that guy's Haskins. And they were never going to throw a freshman in today against Maryland, but with a week of practice and a job that it sounds like is actually up for competition, um, I would not be surprised if the five-star guard who got here this year took that job. Urban Meyer cracked the door in the post-game news conference on 
competition there. He did not say 100% Matt Burrell is up and that's it. He said Matt oh. Burrell or whatever we're going to do there. You right? know what? You know what? I'm on board with you now a little bit. You know what I'm saying. Did, what the, am I going to say? The player that Greg's to draw a name is one he was confident in is Brady Taylor. Yep. Who is the backup center. Yep. Brady Taylor at center, Billy Price at guard. Makes sense. I think that's what they're going to do. I forgot about we that. We have been toying around with something that we're giving you guys the lowdown because you're our loyal podcast listeners. We're toying around with like some like a big guard project. Billy Price is a great guard. I know, I know that you need to trust that center to make some line calls and some blocking calls and to work together with your quarterback. I don't exactly know how Brady if if Brady Taylor needs help, Billy Price can whisper in his ear yeah. what needs to be done. And if you think about the 2014 National Championship team, Jacoby Boren was physically overmatched as a center. He was just a small center. But he did what needed to be done. I'm not disparaging Jacoby Bourne at all. He was the center for national championship team. But they had two NFL guards. Yeah. I think given the structure of what happens now, if you put Billy Price at right guard, he makes Isaiah Prince the right tackle better. He'll coach up the center next to him. I think if you make Billy Price the right guard, you almost make him play three positions. I think you can get some things going with him pulling and blowing people up. And I think if you have faith in your backup center to get the basics down, which is snap the ball, help on the correct guy with your double team or whatever, don't get so blown up that – but that center, that center is not necessarily locked up in one-on-one blocking all the time, yeah, right? A lot, of, a lot of double teams. If you think he can handle the mental aspect of it, and if Stud <clears throat> did say that Brady Taylor is a guy they're believing in, I think that's a way to go. I also think it's possible what they do for Nebraska next week is not what they do for Penn State two weeks later because you have a bye week yeah. to figure all this out too. So there's a difference between what you do in the middle of a game to get by. I think there might even be a difference what you do in one week on, our, on a one-week prep and then what you do when you think this is our game of the year. How do we beat Penn State? How do we get guys ready? We have 14 days to do it. You get, you bring up an interesting point about that. I, that's not a bad theory because I think if you're over Meyer, you don't want to burn those red shirts on Myers and Davis because of the injury. Could I interrupt you? Yes. It doesn't matter. He would light every red shirt on fire if they thought it would be Penn State. I, I, I know the point you're going to make. I don't think it's true. Right. I, I mean, I know it's different for offensive linemen because you want guys to be physically mature. And I'm not saying that Josh Myers and Wise David aren't. It's just they're 18, 19-year-olds, you know, offensive linemen. We always talk about if you have true freshmen playing in the offensive line, that's a problem. No, I agree with that. But I can understand. Good point. I didn't think about the Brady Taylor possibility because Urban specifically twice in his press conference said the name Matt Burrell. So logically that makes sense. I mean, long term, the Brady Taylor thing makes sense because it'd probably be easier for for Ohio State's offensive line if Billy Price goes back to playing guard where he had been the past couple seasons. You slide the backup center who's supposed to know a lot of these concepts. You know, he, he practices at center all season. Been in the program for four years. Exactly. Yep. exactly. Pretty smooth transition. You know, just pr- – Center is more mental, I think, than the other four positions. You just need a guy who's heady, who can diagnose everything, be cerebral. And if you have a veteran like Billy Price over there, it's like can help him through some of the technicalities and some of the you know calculus level things. Here, let, let, let me, so here's the other thing too. Who do you think is the starting center next year? Don't you? Mm. Haven't we had this discussion that you think it's possible it's Brady Taylor? 
Yeah, I actually, it, it's not clear cut. I have, I have actually no idea who the starting center is next So year. here's the thing. Like, when Marcus Hall got kicked out of the Michigan game and then couldn't play in the Big Ten championship game against Michigan State in 2013, it is better if your guy that you're putting in to be a somewhat long-term starter is a guy that you thought was going to start eventually anyway, and he's just young. I think that's preferable to putting in guys that you didn't ever think were going to start. And as you mentioned, the other right guard candidates have been beaten out two years in a row. If you think Brady Taylor is capable of starting, it's just he's not going to beat out Billy Price. But you think he's a starter next year, you just, you just turn the clock forward more quickly. I think, that's, I think that's a difference. that You think he is a starter-level player. I don't know if they think that, though. Because if they did, I, and maybe there was conversation about it, like why is Billy Price the center if that's the case? Because Brandon Bowen was a starter-level player. Because Brandon Bowen proved to be one of the best five. So Taylor, okay, yeah, I mean, maybe Taylor's, Taylor's six. number six. six yeah. uh, we always talk, and we've written about that in the past. It's always who's number six. Who's it's my number favorite six. story to write every year. But we don't. Did we write it this year? Because we didn't know who it was. No, it wasn't clear. Could Price though be the starter and the six? As, as the six is in terms of the guy you move around, not necessarily. I mean, the guy who is your center. I mean, when you guys say the six, I assume the guy that you just plug in in any spot. Is it possible that Billy Price, even though he's a starter, can also be the six? No. No, we mean the sixth is the next guy in. Oh, well, I mean, and then you move everybody else as needed because most, a lot of the times, you can adjust. Like, for instance, if your sixth guy, say your sixth guy is Brady Taylor and Isaiah Prince had gotten hurt, then you move Bowen to right tackle, Price to right guard, and Taylor's a center. Yeah, yes. If Jamarco Jones had got, you know what I mean? Like, you would have done because Billy Price is versatile and Brandon Bowen is versatile. You had flexibility to do what, you, and you could move Brand, you could move Michael Jordan to tackle if you needed to. So if your sixth is Taylor, you move guys around to get Taylor in. If your sixth is Burrell, then if Isaiah Prince would have gotten hurt, then you would have moved Bowen to tackle and put Burrell at guard, right? Yeah. So that's the thing with the sixth is I think it allows you to move the other guys around. But we're going to find out the answer to that. And I think the answer would probably honestly be Matt Burrell. I th- and I think that's that, kind of what I think will. Happen. I think it. I think that's definitely possible. I mean, I think that's. I think, it's I think you're right. It's, it's the it's the obvious call, and I think you're right. Like I don't want to like. I'm just thinking. I thought Matt Burrell would have been the starter two years ago. He should have been the starter this year. Borderline so, top 100 national prospect has had two years out of winning a starting job and hasn't done it. I thought Matt Burrell was going to start when Michael Jordan won the starting, yeah. a starting guard job as a true freshman. So I'll be curious. Um, defensively, what, is there anything we want to talk about defensively? How, this, this defensive effort. Oh, wait, screw it. Uh, done with me talking. We have like 60 questions. I get a lot of questions. I put out a tweet that said, what should we talk about? And I got like 50 responses. All right, so let's I, rip, some through, rip through some. Sorry if we don't get to yours. Um... Let's see, this question. I don't know if I should say this guy's name. Is it a swear word? No, it's, it's uh, we'll call him CN. I just don't want to say it, get in trouble, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he's a good guy. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I, just yeah, don't yeah. Wanna, I don't want to offend him. He knows him. who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we going to miss Damon Arnett next week? Damon Arnett got called for targeting on it was a really, really dumb penalty in the third quarter. Sliding um, QB. Hitting man. a sliding QB. It was, it was just a really. And Urban said it was. Play. What was the word Urban used? Oh, uh, what was the word he used? He said, like, not smart or something, right? He said something along those lines. Dumb or something, yeah. He was not happy. Anyway, so Damon Arnett is, uh, and I think this is the kind of thing that is reviewable after the fact, but it's going to stick. He'll be suspended for the first half next week against Nebraska, and he wants to know if they're going to miss Damon Arnett next week. So it means Jeffrey Okuda is now, you're shaking your head no, you don't think they're going to miss Damon Arnett? 
Why? I, because we saw what Okuda did out there. He filled in for Denzel Ward. I think it was one of the first couple plays he was isoed up against DJ Moore back about 10 yards out of the way. He did a decent job, you know, on that playing coverage. I mean, the ball kind of sailed a little bit, but he did his job. And I think Okuda is a guy that I don't expect it. He's not going to be out there like 50, 60 snaps, but I think he's officially at the point where you can play him a, a few a time, you know, maybe 15 a game. Because it seems like he's a guy you slowly give him a little more. I have a question on who's going to play slot corner. Damon Arnett's done it all year. Denzel Ward I don't think has ever done it. Um, Kendall Sheffield has never done it. Jeffrey Okuda I don't think has ever done it. Because even Denzel Ward got ejected in the first half, and then Okuda came in, but it was still Arnett playing the yes. slot until he got ejected. That's a different position. I asked Damon Arnett about it before the season. And it's not it's an obvious thing. It's just a receiver can go two ways. He's in the slot. He can break inside. He can break outside. And that's different than covering a guy on the outside. We can, he can either run straight or he can go one way. And Jeffrey Okuda is an inexperienced freshman who, if he's put in a position to work in the slot, I'm not just going to assume he's going to be good at it. No way is he your slot. Last year they made Gary on Conley the slot corner in the last third of the year. Denzel Ward's your slot. You make the veteran guy move. I agree. You think the yeah. veteran guy can handle it. I tried to watch Okuda on a couple plays – just off the, the off the snap when they weren't throwing his way, he's good at covering guys. Now the big thing, and, and Kerry Combs, I wrote about this this week. We, we got to talk to Kerry Combs. They've had their he calls it on body coverage. Their on body coverage all year, he's actually been pretty happy with. They had on body coverage, but got beat anyway mm-hmm. against Indiana, and then had on body coverage and got called for some pass interference penalties in other games. So Okuda looks to me like the guy who has. Obviously, the natural physical skills as a top 10 recruit in the country, but it looks like his technique is good enough right now already. He was here in the spring where I think he can do it. We'll have to see what he does when the ball's in the air. As Tim said, he did make a play on the leading receiver in the Big Ten immediately. There's a cat down there. Um, which oh, showed yeah. you a little bit, and I was I sort of, you know, we were sort of talking about this. You know, give Ok, I want to see Okuda against the ones, but we're going to see him against the ones. I think, I think they're so committed. To their corner rotation, that the next guy up is in the rotation. Like I don't think they'll play Jeffrey Okuda a little bit here and there. I think they'll play him in the rotation. No, I think so too. He's in, yeah, he's in. Whatever the breakdowns been in snaps, it's been even from what we can tell. I think it'll be even next week. That Jeffrey Okuda becomes Denzel Ward, and Denzel Ward becomes Damon Arnett. Yeah. Which means that when there is when there are three receivers and they need a slot corner, all three corners are in the game. Denzel Ward's in the slot. Otherwise. They're rotating two guys, or the, the three guys covering the two spots on the outside, and Okuda's in the mix. I don't, I'm not going to say my least favorite saying in the world. I think it's possible Okuda Ooh. looks so good that he stays in that rotation when Damon Arnett is back, and that like a month from now, your three man corner rotation might be Ward, Arnett, and Okuda. And this made you figure it out. Is it like uh, um, like a fortuitous thing that's wearing something and then it's wearing something else and you can't tell what that fortuitous thing is? It's a fake mustache on fortuitousness. Uh, all right, what else? Oh, yeah, I have the questions. Uh, Daniel H. Uh, Dehan underscore 31 wants to know, uh, discuss why Rutgers and Maryland are in the Big Ten. Waste of a nice football Saturday. What was the stat? I had the stat. I put it in my game store. I think it was 238 to 17, the combined scores of Ohio State's four games against Rutgers and Maryland in the last two years. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, we know the deal. It's embarrassing. Like, these are, this is, they've played four games against Rutgers and Maryland in the last two years. 
That's four games that they could be playing against Wisconsin or Iowa or Minnesota or Nebraska or Northwestern or all these teams in the West they barely see anymore, and they're awful. I think Maryland has the potential to be as good as those teams. Maryland, I think, is But why do they get their butts kicked against Ohio State then? I don't know. They had their third-string quarterback out there today. I don't know how much of a difference Pigram or or Kasim Hill would have made, but Bordenschlager can't throw. Yeah, it would have had a dual threat, and I think there's something to be said about Ohio State's defense making a third-string quarterback look like the third-string quarterback. Yeah. Even, like even with him, they improved by 11 points from last season. They got, they got, it was a kickoff got, return for a touchdown. Fair, yes, but, I mean, we and talked the about it all And the other touchdown was scored against they got, Ohio State's fourth string. They got some pieces, and they're getting there. It's just when you lose two quarterbacks, this is what it, this is what the result is. I mean, I guess I'm pining for, like, if only they played Purdue more. I've seen so many games where Ohio State killed Purdue. I don't know. It's like, oh, we would have missed out on Curtis Painter. But Rutgers stinks. Rutgers stinks. Out. Buck, I talk over. <clears throat> um, Ohio football talk said, uh, should we take this with a Wait, game? wait, wait. What? Buckeye talk is getting a question from Ohio football talk. Ohio, Are they a rival of Ohio ours? Ohio football 216 blogging about Ohio State and Cleveland Browns football. But they're not talking. They're only blogging. They're blogging. They're not potting. They're not, it doesn't look like they're potting. Are we going to have to throw down with Ohio football talk? Not for, for right now, we'll take their questions. and we'll, Okay. And, yeah. Should we take this with a grain of salt or should we be really impressed? I'm out. Of, I'm out of salt. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I'm I, taking it. I think you should be impressed by what's happened over the last four weeks. Like the schedule, it's not whatever. If you want to poo-poo doing it against UNLV, that's fine. And Ohio State can schedule a different team. Like they can't schedule a different team in the Big Ten East. There's a conference yeah. game, and they smoke them. I don't like. I'm impressed by it. Yeah, you can only play the teams who are in front of you on the schedule. You know, I mean, talking about UNLV, like. You can only play who's there. You can't just suddenly force TCU into the game, for an example, and have quality competition. That'd be really cool, though. If you could. Well, I mean, we'll see them next year, but yeah. that's true. I mean, and, and and the thing that's hard, and the thing that I think is what hangs up a lot of people is they beat Maryland and Nebraska back to back weeks last year, sixty-two to three, and then they got shut out by Clemson. So I think those two blowouts. Now, here's the thing: those two blowouts came in the midst. Of their other five games around those two ridiculous blowouts were like really close games against teams that were decent but not great. Mm -hmm. Close game against Michigan State. Close game against Northwestern. The double overtime win against Michigan. The overtime win against Wisconsin. Um, So I viewed those two 62-3 games last year more as like outliers of just like athlete. You get out-athleted, and if you really broke down the things Ohio State did – those were they made a better case for grain of salt. Yeah. What I'm what we're all writing and talking about for the last month is progress. And that JT Barrett, we know it's Rutgers, but he looks he's making throws he didn't make against Oklahoma. And so if they were just out here running all bubble screens and JT Barrett was double pumping and then a guy fell down and he he you know, Paris Campbell turned a, a two-yard pass and a 70-yard touchdown. The score would be the same, but we would not be talking the same way about it. So it's not yeah. just the blowouts. It's not just the scores. It's the way they're going about it on both sides of the ball. I think the defense is better. I feel like the linebackers, Jerome Baker after the game was smile. Like, I think the linebackers feel like they figured something out. Tim wrote about it before the game on Saturday. Dante Booker is getting it together a little bit. Jerome Baker, Jerome Baker. is getting it together a little bit. Worley, I don't know. I thought Worley was going to – Worley didn't play a game. He didn't play. He was out in warm-ups with the first team, and I, like, tweeted out he's going to play, and he didn't play. I don't know what the deal is there. Tough Borland was fine. You know, like, I, the, the secondary issues 
aren't 100% known, I think, at this point. Nick Bosa is killing fools. <laughs> Jalen Holmes, they're missing a potential first-round pick at defensive tackle. Sam Howard, a great play in the backfield, tackle for a loss. I thought there was a great – that play, B.B. Landers pushed – his blocker back into the running back yeah. and forced the, the guy to go wide, and then Sam Hubbard chased him down like Sam Hubbard was chasing a lacrosse ball. Tyquan Lewis's sack, I've never seen a defensive end get into the backfield that quick before. I mean, there are, this is the defensive line is reminding us about how good they are. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a uh, no salt. No salt. It's not good no for salt. your diet. It's not good for – there's a lot of flavor. You can use other flavors, yeah. other seasonings besides salt. It raises your blood like pressure. sea salt. That's, just, that's still salt. <laughs> um, okay, so where are we at? 35 minutes. I thought we were going to knock out like 20 minutes. It's a blowout. Let's do like five to ten more minutes, and I'll get the couple, like two or three more questions. Um, this from Dave Grothaus. Dave Grout 87. Does Oklahoma's loss hurt Ohio State's chances even if Ohio – he says if they win out, which I'm not sure if that means like if Ohio State wins out or if Oklahoma wins out. But what is a one-loss – Oklahoma, which lost to Iowa State. I think Oklahoma's like a 30-point favorite in that game. They lost at home. What does that mean for Ohio State? I'd say, like, theoretically, you either want Oklahoma to win out or Oklahoma to have two losses. Yeah. So either they're awesome and your loss to them looks great, or they have two losses and you're ahead of them in the pecking order. I think I've seen other people write a lot about the playoff stuff. I think we are all on board, and we talked about it on our Wednesday podcast. If Ohio State wins out, they're in. Now, that might not be 100% the case today as it stands. And if Alabama and Clemson and Washington and TCU all win out and Georgia and Alabama are undefeated and they play in the SEC championship and all that, yeah, I guess that, but that's not going to happen. So we can just say all that's not going to happen. The Big Ten, I think, is a respected conference with some good teams at the top. Ohio State's going to play all three of them. Because if they're going to win out, they're going to beat Penn State, they're going to beat Michigan, they're going to play Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. I think it doesn't matter if they win out, they're in, and what Oklahoma does or doesn't do or Washington does or doesn't do, somebody else is going to lose along the way. So, yeah, like you don't quite control your own destiny, but you also understand that the destiny of college football is not to have four or five undefeated teams at the end of the year. And as long as that's not the case, you're in. Exactly. And I think when it comes to Oklahoma – it is how, raining. How bad Oof. does that uh, oh, Oklahoma yeah. State loss hurt them? That could have been their biggest chance to add a resume builder on top of Ohio State. Ohio State's got three quality chances to establish a resume. Wait, who? They didn't lose to Oklahoma State. No, no, TCU beat Oklahoma State. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah, okay, we were talking it. in the beginning of the season. That was your semifinal pick was Oklahoma State. Go Pokes. That, you thought that Oklahoma-Oklahoma State might, game might be gigantic. Yes. Yeah, and and now, produce a really good win. And now it's there's nothing there. and that pretty That's much, not necessarily true. Well, it's not it's not as significant as if say Ohio State goes three and zero against as we as we talked about winning out Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. That trumps anything Oklahoma can do the but rest I, of this. And the other thing is too. I mean, like so. I mean, it's like it's almost undefeated Big Twelve team X, which we thought was Oklahoma, but isn't. Which we thought was Oklahoma State, but isn't. It might be TCU. It's the same thing in the Pac twelve. It's like you thought. Well, USC lost. Okay. The Pac-12, well, Washington might go undefeated, or Washington State might go undefeated, or I don't know. I mean, Washington State might have lost to Oregon by the time you listen to this. People are going to lose. It's, it's one of those things. That's, it's, like a, it's like a, I'm sure this is not a scientific thing, because the thing that we are assuming is if Ohio State wins out, which is hard to do, then we're assuming, well, all these other teams are going to lose. But if you don't assume Ohio State wins out, it's not worth having a discussion. 
So we have to assume Ohio State wins out, and then you know people are going to lose. So anyway, I don't want I don't want fans to get too caught up in chasing this team or that team or who needs to lose because somebody's going to lose. Two or three teams are going to lose, and they'll be fine. The Big Ten, by the way, and I got caught up a lot in this early on in the playoff talk and the BCS or whatever. The Big Ten engenders far more respect among national college football people than it used to, and that matters. And that's why it matters that Penn State got back, got back on its feet. That's why it matters that Michigan's coach is Jim Harbaugh and not Brady Hope. That's why it matters that Mark D'Antonio is a guy that makes Michigan State competitive year after year after year. That's why it matters that Gary Anderson was not very good at Wisconsin and Paul Christ is going to be good. You need your conference to help you. And I think we have reached the point where the Big Ten, you can feel confident that the Big Ten is going to help Ohio State and give the Buckeyes chances to get good wins, which was not the case four, five, six, seven, eight years ago. It wasn't ago. even the case in 2014, really, when they, right. when they got there. Um, okay, let's do two more questions. Okay. This question is from Jim Arm Priester. Is Mike Weber secretly as good as J.K. Dobbins? I think uh, when I think of uh, Weber versus Dobbins, I think Dobbins just has more game-breaking ability than Weber. I feel like Weber is more steady. Like, he can constantly give you six, seven yards of pop just because of, you know, his power game. And he also had – he showed a little burst on that 53-yard wheel route, which, Dude. you know, I think you have to feel good about it. If you're Kevin Wilson, you see that, you're like, all right, I can use that a little more. I can get him out on the perimeter a little more. I feel like Dobbins, you know, he had a couple, maybe one or two yards, and he just then he'll just pop a big one. That's the thing I think that separates Dobbins from Weber is that Dobbins has more of that ability that – Anytime he touched it, you think he's got a chance to take it, take it a long way, if not all the way to the end zone. J.K. Dobbins, 13 carries, 96 yards. Mike Weber, 13 carries, 59 yards. But as Tim mentioned, Weber also had the one catch for 53 yards. Um, Dobbins did not have a catch, Bill. I think Mike Weber is definitely more explosive this year than he was last year, which is kind of crazy to say considering what we know now about how serious his hamstring injury was. He almost didn't play this year because it was a tear. It wasn't a strain. Um, secretly as good as J.K. Dobbins, I don't know. Maybe I guess I kind of view them as even because of their their, their strengths are different. Obviously, I don't think Mike Weber is ever going to take a carry up the middle and then all of a sudden pop out and then run sixty yards for a touchdown. I just don't think that's his game. But like we've said before, I also don't think J.K. Dobbins' game is getting you four yards when you really need it running inside. And I think they're equally as good at the things they do best, if that makes sense. So I'll say that Mike, like after Indiana, we thought that. J.K. Dobbins was going to be the lead tailback and get 20 carries a game, and Mike Weber was going to be a forgotten man. Um, I think he's shown enough to, to tell us that he should not be a forgotten man. I think Dobbins is better. Um, I thought there was a drive tonight where I think it was an 11-play drive. I think Weber had seven, seven carries, carries for 48 yards on the drive, and yeah. I asked him about that drive. Like, did that make you feel like the old Mike Weber? And he was like, yeah, like I love getting in that rhythm. I think that's a really smart way to use them. And that's the way they've been using them. It's not like they've been doing it otherwise. This is not a one carry for you, come out of the game, one carry for you. This is a we use Dobbins, see if he pops a couple, he gets a series. next. Se- Mike Weber is good, not great. Mike Weber is not going to drop 200 yards on you. Mike Weber is not going to take over a game. Mike Weber, at times, can get you down the field almost by himself. Do you think he looks faster? You know what? I almost thought he didn't look like he had a burst tonight, so I don't know. i got to look at it again. You're making me want to look at it again. Because I thought there, there was at least one play where he got to the edge, and I thought, oh, he might be gone. And then he like immediately got tackled. 
I think maybe fast is not the right word. I think like quickness through the line maybe is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Like straight line speed and running away from people, maybe not, but burst through the initial burst through the hole, I think. And here's the thing that it's just there are times that happens with both tailbacks. When the play design is right and the offensive line gets a push, they will run a play where it looks like something might pop and then it doesn't, and you think, oh, that wasn't very good, and they gain eight yards. Yeah. And it's like, how do they get eight yards on that? And it's like, well, the running back didn't get touched for the first six, and then he got tackled by the safety, and he got eight yards. And that was like the easiest eight yards you've ever seen. And they do that multiple times a game, and there are teams that would kill for that, to be able to have the backs and the line and the play design to get easy eight-yard chunks, which is insane. Um, Mike Weber can do that, though. Mike Weber, you could get in a tough game against Penn State in the third quarter where it's a tie game or a one-score game and you need something, and you could put Mike Weber in the game and say, we're going to give him the ball eight times on this 12-yard drive, and he's not going to pop anything, but he might end up averaging seven yards per carry and getting you in the end zone eventually. And that is a very valuable thing that I think is a good compliment to Dobbins. I agree. Okay, last question from Scott Duda. He hit us with a couple food topics. We don't talk food post game. Plus, I never heard of the places you mentioned, but we'll go there. <laughs> um, but his last question from Scott was, why isn't Joe Burrow playing more? Uh, Dwayne Haskins got into the game in the third quarter and then played the rest of the game. No Joe Burrow, who is, I don't know how all the way back he is from his broken hand, but he played He played uh, in the end of the game against Rutgers, right? And he played in the end of the game against UNLV and did not play today in a game that was just as lopsided as those. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to read that. I'm reading it as it's the backup quarterback competition is over and has been over for some time, and it's Dwayne Haskins. Um, but I, even with that said, I'm a little surprised that Joe Burrow didn't get at least a series or two at the end of this game. Yeah, I kind of agree, I kind of agree that I feel like it's proof that Haskins is the number two. And I, I'm, I'm thinking the injury to Burrow didn't – maybe it had a little to do with what, what Haskins – Haskins playing more is the number two, but – I think what Haskins has shown in game situations that is, he showed Urban that, yeah, I can be the backup. I can step in when need be. If JT goes down, I can go in and, you know, lead the offense. I think that's, it's an interesting dilemma and when it comes to the backup quarterbacks that we, we knew they were kind of 1A and 1B in that battle. And based on what we've seen so far this season, Haskins now it looks like He's got more physical tools than Burrow. He shows what he can be in the future. How often does a team, even in a blowout, play its third-string quarterback? Not very often. Not very often, but I think this is also different, or at least we thought it was different. I don't think it's different anymore. I think you're right. They have a starter, they have a second-stringer, and they have a third-stringer. Yeah. And the battle is over. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. 62-14. Uh, we'll do something else. We, we, got, we have some videos we can do with some of the questions. We love the questions. We'll get to more of the questions, or we'll – We'll hit them uh, early next week as we get ready for Nebraska. Um, I, I think it's possible that it's like we thought, oh, this little four-game stretch of, of lousy opponents until they get back to real stuff. I think Nebraska might qualify in the lousy opponent meter still. That I don't know yeah. that next Saturday is going to be all that different than uh, than what these last four games have been unless unless Nebraska gets something figured out. I mean, Nebraska was too – did Nebraska – Nebraska play today? Nebraska uh, at the moment is losing 24-17 at home to Wisconsin with five minutes left. Okay, they're giving Wisconsin a game. Um, who knows? I mean, they're 2-0 in the Big Ten, but they beat Rutgers in Illinois. So, you know, like, yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah. My girlfriend just texted me as we were recording and said she used to like you until you said you like vanilla milkshakes. Really? Yeah. 
I'm telling you, the Vanilla Council of America, I'm, we're going to sue not just you, but your girlfriend as well. This is outrageous slander. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I had milkshake last night. It was technically hot fudge, but vanilla-based from UDM. <laughs> Fantastic. I enjoyed it. Wait, so it was a hot fudge that it was vanilla with hot fudge sauce? Yes. Which Bill call... said he hates. But what, like, how was it How was it advertised to you? Was it advertised as a chocolate milkshake? It was advertised as a hot fudge shake. Okay, I'm fine with that. I wouldn't order it, but as long as you don't call that a chocolate milkshake. Okay. Well, it's not a chocolate milkshake, is I mean... No, I know, but I'm saying some places you go to and you order a chocolate milkshake and they say, okay, here's a vanilla ice cream right. with chocolate syrup. I guess the, the understanding of hot fudge is that it is vanilla ice cream with hot fudge on top, right? Yeah. That is what hot fudge is. Yes. Just, do people put hot fudge on chocolate? Or that's, is that over the top? I, I think mean, hot fudge only exists to go on vanilla ice cream. Yeah. yeah. So if you're getting a hot fudge milkshake, you understand it's vanilla-based with hot fudge. Is the, was the fudge, like, really mixed in or was there ribbons of fudge still... In it. Well, what they did was they put in three scoops of three little scoops of hot fudge. I got credit the UDF near me that did that. They put it, they take it out, and like they did, it just laid a couple ladles of hot fudge they threw it before they got into the milk and the ice cream and mixed it all together. UDF makes a killer milkshake. And really? I like. There's them. one. There's a milk sh- milk shop sh- milkshake shop near where I used to live up in Cleveland on North Railton. They make fantastic hot fudge milkshakes. That was. So All right, point. we're getting into Tim's local Cleveland delicacies at yeah. the end. Of, this is we're we're 48 minutes into a post game podcast. Tim's gonna be telling us like where he went on his third grade grade field trip and whether he got onion rings or French fries there. I went to Hershey Park. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll come back with a Wednesday Buckeye talk, uh, breaking down something other than the Nebraska game because we don't know how interesting that'll be. Um, read us at cleveland.com. Watch our videos at cleveland.com. cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Lane Maurice. I didn't do a commercial this time because I thought we were going to do a short little post. Listen. This is short. The other beats do post-game podcasts, and they're like 14 minutes long. The other – what other beats? The other Cleveland.com. The other Cleveland.com post-game podcasts are 14 minutes. We went 49 minutes. I would be curious. If you're listening to this, let us know. What would you prefer from the post-game pod? 45 minutes or 15 minutes? That's the thing. If you prefer 15 minutes, you're not hearing this question because you already turned it off. That's true. Also, we probably wouldn't listen to you anyway. Yeah. Uh, We can't help ourselves. We love the sounds of our own voices. He's Tim. He's Bill. I'm Doug. Ohio State beats Maryland 62-14. Buckeyes move to 5-1 on the season. 3-0 in Big Ten play. Next up at Nebraska next Saturday. Thanks for joining us on this one. And that was Buckeye Talk.